WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 151, all about the Silmarillion, chapter 11, of the sun and the moon and the hiding of Valinor, being the 151st part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I'm joined by the other half of the Prancing Pony podcast. Welcome, Sean! Thank you very much, Mary Clay. Uh, Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'm really excited for what we're going to talk about tonight. Me too, and I'm really excited to complete my little guest bingo card, I guess. I really should make a a bingo card because I've gotten, since I started the podcast, I've gotten a lot of um, suggestions from guests and requests, I mean, from listeners um, for requests for guests. And you guys have always been at that list. And I'm like, I'm working on it. I promise. (laughs) So listeners... Here we go. We did it. Yay. That's that's <laughs> awesome to hear. Thank you. I, I'm, again, really excited to be here. I was talking to Alan about the fact that I'm finally joining you because he joined you, what, I think nine chapters ago for chapter two, and he said he had such a great time. So Wow. Was I'm it really chapter to... two? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Oh my gosh, when you're reading the Silmarillion, time does not exist. It it goes by quick. It does. Oh my gosh. Because, you know, thousands of years pass in a single page. So, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, Well, before we go into the chapter discussion, why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your history with Lord of the Rings and Tolkien? How were you introduced to it, whether that was through The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, whether it was the books or the movies? What was that like? Uh, Wow. So this would have been when I was uh, in high school. I think I was 15 or 16 years old. And like I had been a fantasy kid for a long time. Like like, I don't think there was ever a time when I didn't know that there was a book called The Hobbit or a book called The Lord of the Rings. I just never really bothered to read it. I I read like, you know, kind of like, you know, the the trashy fantasy novels that you get at the Walden books that were on bargain and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was one day I was reading a book about something totally different. I was reading a book about uh, one of my favorite bands. And there was a side note in this book about how this Oxford professor in the 1930s had just randomly one day written in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit on a student's paper that he was grading. And I read that story and I just thought, wow, that is so cool. Like this professor just got bored at work basically and just started scribbling on his work and this entire world came out of it. And so that just seemed really neat to me, just a great genesis for a fantasy world. And it wasn't too long after that that I went out and bought a box set of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and I I read straight through and I went right on into The Silmarillion after that. I won't say I understood it, but I (laughs) I did read it (laughs) and uh, kept on going. And, um, you know, of course, the deeper I went, the more I realized like, oh, no, he didn't just come up with this world for the first time when he scribbled that. He'd actually been working on it for years. But I think to me, that's kind of what's kept me there and kept me interested is that there's just so much to learn about all the things that inspired Tolkien to write this world and and, and kind of how it came out of his head onto paper. So, yeah, that, that that's kind of how I discovered it. Very cool. What was uh, the band that had that footnote that started that? Uh, Pink Floyd. 
Pink yeah, Floyd. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm there like, we go. <laughs> I'm like a big time Pink Floyd fan. Anybody who listens to the Prancing Pony podcast knows like Alan and I are big progressive rock, classic rock fans. You know, we like all that dad rock stuff. And uh, yeah, Pink Floyd's dad been rock, my favorite band for classic. many years. Yeah. And just randomly in this biography of them, I was reading one day, I was just talking about like, you know, the 60s and all the Frodo lives and all that kind of stuff. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. 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 That's totally cool. Yeah. I've... Um, found it increasingly fascinating how Lord of the Rings permeated a lot of um, like music subcultures and like it's it's like so fascinating (laughs) yeah it's it's amazing it's like you you start and again this was like me when I was in high school I'd just be like listening to Led Zeppelin it's like that that was a Tolkien reference like you said something about the darkest depths of Mordor you know like that kind of stuff like and it was just yeah it was just kind of everywhere so which is so funny too when you think about all these like cool rock and roll stars and they're all secretly Lord of the Rings they're nerds. Serious nerds, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um maybe listeners, one day you and I can be rocking up on stage <laughs> as well. You never know. I've I never haven't let go that. of that dream yet, so nobody should. It could happen. That's it could right. happen. You never, you never know. know. You never know. Um well, this chapter is, what is this? This is chapter 11. Again, this is where I'm starting, everything's starting to blend together. Of the sun and the moon. And then Tolkien always, ha- he can't like just leave it at that. He has to continue adding to the title and the hiding of Valinor. Yeah. And I was thinking about it and I think he would, I mean, for a number of reasons, but I think he would really hate um, I was just thinking about how the Harry Potter chapters are named and it's like the time turner polyjuice yeah, potion yeah. even though not at, maybe not everything in that chapter is about polyjuice potion or not everything in that chapter is about you know the the chamber of secrets or the mirror of era said other things happen right tolkien is like no if the entire chapter <laughs> is not about the you know if there's things that happen not pertaining directly to the sun and the moon then yeah. I'm a liar if I don't put that in the chapter title, too. Like, the chapter title has to be exactly about what happens in the chapter. I'm going to telegraph every single thing that happens here. So, yeah, it's going to be like, you know, of the time Hermione punched Draco and of the time that she went back in time another time. You know, yeah. Yes, yeah. And I will always um, give him a hard time because he spoiled for me uh, the death of Denethor. When I was reading Return of the King, because one of the chapters is called the Pyre, oh, the Pyre of, Denethor. of Denethor. The Pyre of Denethor. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's not. Oh, but the and Pyre I was Pyre just like, Denethor, yeah. I mean, obviously he dies at yeah. some point. I did not predict yeah. it would have happened in that fashion, that wonderful, fabulous fashion. But I was like, man, Tolkien, you really just can't, you know, let things lie. And the Silmarillion is so full of those spoilers, like going back to like chapter one, chapter two, you know, like. And here's something that happens in chapter 24, you know, like that, that's the kind of stuff that he, he drops. And, uh, as you, as you go through it, I'm sure you'll, you'll pick up on that. You'll start to, oh, wait, this was hinted a long time ago. So, I mean, this is the same guy who called an entire book, the return of the King. I wonder what's going to happen in that one. I know. Right. (laughs) And then I will say though, to be fair, the opposite of that is the two towers where I'm reading it the whole time. Like, what are the two towers? Because there are so many (laughs) more than two towers. Which are the two towers? There's more than two towers. There are at least five towers to choose from. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so this chapter, we go back to Valinor. The previous chapters, we've been following uh, the Noldor and Feanor as they very dramatically leave Valinor. Uh, we got to meet the Sindar back in Beleriand. We're back in Middle-earth in the previous chapter. So now we jump back to the Valar's point of view here and we see we see what they're doing in the aftermath of not only uh the the death of the trees but also the the noldor leaving Mm -hmm. it is not as feanor said where he was like you got at least i'm doing something you guys are just sitting around doing nothing right and they do sit i find this so funny because it says that like um even though they might not actively be doing something, they're the Valar. They can accomplish things just by thinking and, and you know, yeah. plan it. And I'm like, they sit and actually think about what they're going to do rather than Feanor, who just does. <laughs> who has a tendency <laughs> to just kind of react, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, um, they're they're demigods, right? They're the, the demiurgical mm. powers of the world. They can do a lot when we don't have any idea that they're doing anything at all. And I think that's a really cool reminder. And, yeah. and also, you know, like you say, they're, they're sitting here thinking about what they're going to do, but they're also talking about it. Right. Because we're told that without voices in silence, they may hold counsel one with another. And that's, that's always been one of my favorite things uh, about this chapter is it's the first time we really see the Valar communicating through basically telepathy. And, yeah. uh, and th- there's actually uh, Strangely enough, there, there's a uh, there's an entire essay on uh, Elvish and Valoran telepathy that Tolkien wrote that was in, that ended up being published in a linguistic journal called Vinyar Tenguar, and it talks all about how this telepathy works, and uh, it's it's a real thing. You know, you see a couple little hints of it in a few places throughout the Legendarium, but this is kind of the first the first real serious place where I think we see it in the Silmarillion. So I don't know if that will necessarily answer what I was wondering about but when I and this is fresh in my mind too because last night I just um I went to a showing of Two Towers Mm. and when I was first watching Two Towers and covering it for the podcast something that made me like inexplicably angry is this entire like there's a very long scene where Elrond and Galadriel just have this like telepathic conversation and that idea wasn't necessarily set up in the movies or explained or you know yeah. you know talked like oh so it's yeah like suddenly elves. this is a thing they can do really yes, i exactly. didn't know that yeah and so i was just very mad and i was like this makes yeah. no sense yeah. blah 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 all of the stuff that's happening with the elves and the movies is nonsense like all you know <laughs> i don't know what to and believe so, yeah yeah and so hearing that there is you know, I don't know if necessarily, you know, the Valar having these telepathic conversations is directly connected to, you know, Elrond and Galadriel having that it telepathic actually is. conversation. But, yeah. Okay, cool. It actually is. Yeah. So the you're right. It comes out of nowhere in the movies. There's, I think, one spot in the books where it's really explicit and it's towards the end of Return of the King in the book. I think there's a moment when it's Elrond, Galadriel, Gandalf, and maybe Celeborn, and they're all just kind of sitting there communicating. And I think... I don't have the text in front of me, but the narration is something like, you know, they're just kind of sitting there and it looks like they're just sitting there, but they're actually communicating in thought. I I think that's the only time that you really see it explicitly in Lord of the Rings, the book. But yeah, Tolkien wrote, like I said, this whole essay. I mean, you know, Tolkien was obsessed with language and the languages and the communication of his world was something that he was always really excited by. And he wrote an essay called Osanwe Kenta, which basically means uh, like 
the report on or the essay on Osanwe. And Osanwe is like the elvish word for telepathy, basically. And it's all about how telepathy works. And it's it's the it's sort of he kind of suggests that it, it was supposed to be the natural mode of communication for people like it was it was meant to be the way the Valar communicated and elves communicated and, and maybe even men, although men don't seem to have quite as much of a you know, biological propensity for it. But uh, yeah, he he writes in pretty amazing detail kind of how it works and how, you know, you know, somebody like a, a Melkor or a Sauron could overpower somebody else and, you know, get into their brain and things like that. And uh, it's it's pretty cool stuff. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a thing. Yeah. Classic Tolkien leaving no stone unturned. Right. Yeah. Got to explain it all. Um, yes, yeah, so they, the Valar, like I said, very unlike Feanor, they actually talk through what they are going to do next. Um, yeah. And they are, it makes note that they are not only mourning the death of the trees, but they are mourning what Feanor has done. They are mourning yeah. the Noldor leaving, and they are mourning what Melkor was able to do. So yeah. it's not this like, oh, aren't we glad that that... <laughs> Oaf is out of here. Good They're riddance, very, Feanor. You know, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> see you in the next lifetime, I guess. <laughs> Don't let the door um, hit you on the way out. Yeah. yeah. Much like parents would be upset if their child, yeah. you know, just left home. Um, they're very upset. Um, and it's also very unsettling to them because Feanor was like, he as and that's what's annoying too is that like Feanor knew it he knew that like he was the golden child you know yeah. it says he's the mightiest in all parts of the body in mind in Valar in or in yeah in Va- Valor. Valor. Yep. Valor. There we go. I was, trying, I was I knew that was a different word, but I was like, wait a minute. I just said Valor. Anyway, in Tol- Valor, in endurance, yeah. in beauty, in understanding, in skill, in strength, and in subtlety alike of all the children of Iluvatar, and a bright flame was in him. So, like, how could you not have like a fall from right. grace when you you're had set everything? Up to be that. You were handed yeah. everything. You know, yes. not only did not only did you have all this this you know this perfection right you're beautiful you're strong you're smart you're you know you've got this this spirit you're also crown prince of one of the kindreds of the elves you've really got everything and yeah it's mm-hmm. like it it's got to be it's got to be depressing for the valar to see this happen to fane or so much wasted yeah. potential and and I, that's a really good catch about you know the way a parent would feel if a if a child lets them down and a child runs off. That that's interesting because in in a lot of ways that is the relationship that the Valar have with the children of Iluvatar, right? They're not they're, we're not literally I say we the elves and men. They're, we're not literally the children of the Valar the way we are the children of Iluvatar, but they are kind of like older siblings in a way, like older siblings mm. that take care of elves and men. And yeah, it's. There is definitely a paternal feeling there, and it's got to be so, so disappointing. Yeah, and they're just even more unsettled, too, that, like, man, if Melkor could take down, like, the best of us. Right, yeah. Like, what else else is going to happen? What else can he do? Right. Um, It's a little bit of that Anakin Skywalker thing. I mean, like, I'm a big Star Wars fan, too, and, you know, and... Not that this necessarily translates to the movies, but the idea that Anakin Skywalker was supposed to be this perfect Jedi with all this power and all this potential, and and he falls. Yeah, I love reading. I feel like I've read a couple books or fantasy books about with that idea of like what happens when you're like supposed to be, you know, like the savior, yeah. the chosen one, and then like you don't. That doesn't happen. You know, yeah. something changes. You where, go horribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like such a fascinating um, 
topic to dive into because yeah. it's so different from what we're used to seeing or hearing. You yeah. Know? Can I um, ask you a question about that yes. while we're here? So what mm-hmm. is your take on Feanor and all this? Because, you know, oh boy, <laughs> we so on our on our podcast, people know that Alan and I are big critics of Feanor. Um, we love to point out Feanor's faults. And yet he's a very popular character. People are like, he's he's great. He's awesome. He's this antihero. Yeah. You can kind of see it both ways. I'm just kind of curious what your take is. Yeah. Um, I am definitely not one of those. Feanor did nothing wrong, <laughs> which Good. I've discovered is a is like it's a, a fashion of it's such a thing. Internet, yeah. Which is so funny to see. No, so I love Feanor in the sense that he adds so much drama yeah. to the story. And that and similarly I really enjoyed reading uh, the parts of Return of the King that were having to do with Denethor Mm, because it's so dramatic and problematic and messy. And I find that fascinating and it's fun to read. And it feels like so undistinct. It feels not un-Tolkien, but like you think of Tolkien and you think of like, oh, the Shire and describing pretty landscape, but you don't think of like family drama, you know, you don't think of those things. And so reading it is like, oh, this is really fun. It's like watching a a soap opera or something. Um, Totally. So yeah, I've been making some really great memes on my Instagram (laughs) account all about Feanor. I discovered... Um, I don't know if you've ever watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, but there's a no. there's a character on it, listeners who maybe watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, there's a surprising amount of quotes that work for Feanor that Gina Linetti says, and Gina Linetti is this very like narcissistic, um, kind of arrogant but funny character. And what did I post this week? You think you can just bully people, but you can't. It's not okay. I'm the bully around here. <laughs> and so, like, just quotes like that. That's and then totally Feanor a... to Melkor. That's totally something he would say, yeah. Yes. And there's another quote that I'm going to post later this week. And it's literally the backstory of Feanor. Like, oh, it's like the beginning of Feanor's life. And Gina says, my mother cried the day I was born because she knew that she would never be as perfect as me. <laughs> and, like, that's low-key what happened with Feanor. Like, that's what happened with yep. him and his mom. His yep. mom, like, withered away because yeah. she put all of her heart this and soul into it. This is all I got. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing else for me now. So, anyway, yeah. So, I just find Feanor to just be, like, a very entertaining character yeah. to read. Totally, totally agreed. And, it, yeah, he's a fascinating character. He's a wonderfully written character. Um, doesn't make him not... I mean, he's horribly flawed. Yeah. So. I think it's interest, It's always interesting when people come across characters that are quote you know supposed to be quote unquote the good guys mm-hmm. and then you see them fall into bad guy territory because yeah. we're always you know told and set up with these ideas of like good guy versus bad guy and yeah. like oh batman and the joker are very you know and so when you get yeah. to see characters who i mean not to bring up harry potter again but I mean, when you have, you know, like Voldemort and Harry Potter, but then you have characters mm-hmm. like Severus Snape, who is yeah, in a yeah. very gray area. Um, yeah. 
that's why people find those characters interesting right. because it's like, wait yeah. a minute, this was supposed to be a good guy. How is he bad? Or when right. you find, you know, characters on the bad side and they start to have, um, you know, redeeming qualities, good qualities. And you're like, yeah. you're like, what? How can you be good? I thought you were a bad guy, you know? Right. So, yeah, um, that doesn't surprise me that a lot of it. it it shouldn't surprise me anymore about the internet that there would be people who are like, Feanor did nothing wrong. Yep. <laughs> but a, I was surprised. <laughs> I, I was surprised, too. I was surprised how many arguments I got into people about Feanor, the idea that Feanor is ultimately a villain. And, um, you know, again, a great character. There's no story without him. But yeah, he's not he's not the guy you want your friend, your kids to be friends with. Yeah. So. <laughs> kind of on a on a foreboding note. Mando says they're talking. They're talking about Aya and um, and the the beauty that has been conceived, and yet there's all this evil. And Mando says, "And yet remain evil." To me, shall Feanor come soon? Mm-hmm. So just like Cl- Mando's does this every now and then, where like there's a conversation happening, and then Mando's is like, "You're not the first to die," right, and then yeah. like you know you flip the page, and it's like, "Oh, Finway died." Right. You know? Yeah. So like. Classic Mandos, just dropping in those ominous lines. Um, but given that he is, you know, our pseudo um, underworld yeah, lord, you know, Hades, so to speak, future, you know, yeah. 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 Um, seems like Feanor's going to die soon. So <laughs> that'll be interesting. We'll see. <laughs> what will we we'll do see. for entertainment without him around? <laughs> we'll see. Um, maybe throw some hobbits in there eventually. I don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> You're totally right about Mandos, though. Like every time he talks, it's like, oh, something's gonna happen. Like, yeah. we we really don't. We, we would just be happy if he just never said anything. But yeah, can you imagine? Like, you're sitting at a council meeting, everything's going great, and then like you see, you look over, and Mandos is kind of like perking up, and you can tell he's about to. Sit, and you're like, oh no, oh no, like quick, bang, bang the gavel in the meeting. You know, <laughs> he's got some news. We don't want to hear it. Yeah. So they decide to go into action what they had been discussing um, which is to try and revive the trees at you know at least do something to try and bring them back to life Yavana and Niena put forth all their powers of growth and healing I think it says that yeah Yavana sang and Niena's tears um, watered the ground but just mm-hmm. nothing was really working and all that they got was that Telperion bore at last upon a leafless bow one great flower of silver and Laurelin a single fruit of gold. So they take this flower and they take this fruit and then the trees, that's like all they have to give and then they die. That's it. That's it. They give these things to Varda. And they're like, what should we do with them? <laughs> you made the tree. Did Varda, I forget, did Varda make the trees? A lot of people made the trees. They, they, they like, kind of work this together. This grew them and this person They work together, them. but Yvonne's the, she's the growth and nature Yvonne's Vala. Right, so yeah. she was the one who kind of was the, I guess, probably the, the lead singer in that one. But, yeah. you know, with the light, anytime you're looking at, you know, light, Varda's going to be there because Varda's the one who's the stars and the light and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So they give um, the fruit and the flower to Aule and Manwe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make them into vessels, which yeah. is just kind of funny for us to think of like, you have like, I don't know, an apple and a flower and 
it's kind of later described almost as like a, a boat or something for you know yeah. and so like a vet and so it's like how did you make this apple a I boat know. <laughs> like, i know what I, happened here <laughs> i almost imagine i'm like putting them in like a crystal globe and then putting that inside a boat you know it's a it's a very it's kind of a strange image isn't it it's it's a it's a very kind of Almost like an ancient Egyptian or, you know, very ancient mythological kind of image. Yes. Yeah. I would say this chapter is as close to um, reading like what we would imagine as being, you know, like Greek mythology um, or reading about like, you know, folklore of how these things that like, yes, we have a scientific reason for why these things came to be. um, But like this is the... You know, this is the story of how that of came how to they be. Came this to is be. the culture yeah. of how it right. happened. You know, yeah. the story, the the mythology yeah, around the, it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's why I love this one so much. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave them to Varda, and they're like, "What should we do with them?" Um, <laughs> and she's like, "We're gonna put them in the sky," um, yep. because they also kind of realize they're like, "So it's kind of dark over there in Middle Earth." Um, <laughs> Things aren't really growing too much. <laughs> Things aren't great. Like Melkor's over there now. Yeah. He's built like he's probably doing some evil stuff. Um, <laughs> it's pretty dark over there. Like we had these lamps a while ago, but they broke. Um, <laughs> they and broke. <laughs> and whoops, <laughs> just an accident. Again. You know, yeah. who, I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, and also, like the men are going to be coming right. soon. Right. So um, I forget what they call them. The aftercomers. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a lot of not so flattering names for humans in this book. (laughs) I was like appalled in the previous chapter. um, They call the dwarf. I forget the name, but it means the stunted people. I think it's I think it's Nalgrim, the stunted (laughs) people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they they don't call them. It says like they called themselves Kazad, and I'm like, right. cool. So then call them yeah. that, you know. <laughs> but and then no. it's like, but our word for them is stunted people, and I'm like, yeah. that's so mean for no reason. The, the elves are not exactly sensitive. <laughs> I mean, like technically, you're correct that like compared to you, their growth is stunted. But like, I know. <laughs> come I know. on. Well, the like I said, there there are a lot of really not flattering names that the elves mm-hmm. give to humans, like the sickly and the the short-lived and things like that so which i think is just like it's just so true to life of what happens when a history is told from the like one perspective of one people yeah absolutely yeah um so let's see what were we talking about oh yeah that's right they were like we need to do something about middle earth because there are more elves over there and melkor's doing bad stuff that's right. and also yeah, there's going to be more people coming yeah. soon yeah so we should probably step up and do something um <laughs> at least turn the lights on you know yeah, let's stop let's hogging the all the light on. for ourselves behind these Which, giant mountains i love that it's like it's really like it's only occurring to them now <laughs> that maybe we should turn the lights on over After there how you know? many thousands of years of the trees yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like poor, you know, all the rest of the the other elves who are over there and the dwarves yeah. just being like, I guess we just live in darkness. I guess this is I as bright know. as it gets. I don't or know. Or no, I guess they have the stars. They um, do have the that stars. That does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they make um, Isil, the she- it says Isil the Sheen, mm-hmm. the Vanyar of old named the moon. Right. Flower of Telperion in Valinor. So Isil is the vessel that pulls the moon, which came right. from the flower um, from Telperion. Right. And then these are the things that I feel like if I was in high school, this is what would be on like 
I don't know, like a multiple choice question. Like these are, this is what the details that I feel like would yeah. be on a test being like, right. which tree did, you know, how did the moon come the moon, to right. the moon yeah. was, yeah. you know, created from, you know, blank that right. grew from blank tree. And yeah. it's like, oh, it came from the flower that right. grew from yeah. Telperion, you know. And if you go back and read the stuff about the trees, you can start to see like, Oh, okay. Well, Telperion had like the silvery white light, whereas Laurelin had the golden yellow light. You know, you can see that he was foreshadowing this, right? Right. Yeah. He's got that yeah. whole you silver kind and of... gold motif throughout that really works here. Yes. And it was also, and like the way that like they would bloom and I don't know what the opposite of oh, bloom is. Yeah. They, they were sort of like, the, like the waxing wax and light and, and then the waning. Is and like, yeah. When the so, lights like, that mingled, was also it was very, yeah. 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 Like paralleling yeah the the phases of you know the sun and the moon right um and then onar is what is the fruit from laurelin which becomes the sun right um then this is the really cool part this is what i really enjoyed um there is before we move on from the names can i say something really cool just that people who've read lord of the rings may not have noticed so the these names isil and onar they actually appear in Lord of the Rings in a few places. Have you picked up on that? So, um, so is for, Isil anything to do with Isildur? Exactly. Yeah. Isildur's <laughs> okay. name means, I think it means like, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to, I should have had this in front of me. I think Dur is something like, you know, darkness. So it's like kind of like uh, darkness of the moon or something like that. And then um, Anarion, his brother, was was basically, his name means like son of the sun. So Elendil's uh. two children are named after the sun and moon. And also the cities that they founded. So if you think of the Gondorian cities, Minas Tirith and, well, Minas Morgul, of course, is now a a fortress in Mordor. But their original names were Minas Anor and Minas Ithil, which are the Sindarin words for the sun and the moon. Whereas what we're looking at here, Isil and Anar are the Quenya words. So if you're looking at the, they're basically the other Elvish language words for the right. sun and moon. Yes. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> this is from the kind of I, stuff that I love, by the way. Like all the when names I read that, you know, like, I don't know, two years ago, three years yeah. ago. That I do actually remember that, though, because I remember being like, wait, so how, So they had these names and now they're not these names anymore. Yeah, like, what's yeah. going on with this? Yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very interesting. That's the stuff I love. So they choose um, among the Maiar to guide these vessels, to guide the sun and the moon into the sky. Right. Um, they choose Arian, Arian, how would you, how do you say that? I, it's probably Arian. I think I yeah. usually say Arian, but Arian, it should yeah. be Arian. Yeah. I get lazy um, sometimes with my pronunciations, but it should be Arian. Oh, my, with like my, I mean, I don't have a very, like, I don't have a heavy Southern accent, but I definitely have Southern drawl to my voice. And also like, at you know, um, American on top of it. There yeah. are some like horrific some words, that like. Our mouths just don't make the way Professor Tolkien's did. I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> ooh. Oh, it was, um, yeah. Towards the beginning of the film, really. And I kept saying like, Yavanna. Oh. <laughs> and that just sounds gross. Yeah, yeah. Like. Uh, and when you hear Tolkien say Yavanna, it's like, oh, it's like music. Uh. Yeah. I'm over here like, Yavanna. Yavanna. <laughs> yep. So um, they choose Aryan and she guides the sun. Mm-hmm. Tilion guides the moon. Mm-hmm. And Tilion was a hunter in the company of Orime. It says he has a silver, but basically he made um, he made Telperion his 
aesthetic. <laughs> and it's he totally has my silver, thing. Yeah. He has a silver bow. He was a lover of silver. Yeah. Um, and he would go and like at the end of the day to rest, to like look upon the trees, to look at Telperion. So he loves this tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ariam tended the flowers in the gardens and would water them, uh, would water Laurelin. And yeah. she in particular is a one of the fire spirits mm-hmm. that Melkor from the Maiar attempted to and was successful with many of them. Right. And that's how we got Sauron, right? Wasn't it? Sauron was actually one of the Maiar of Aule. But we think this is how he got the Balrogs. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Melkor corrupted some Maiar right. and Aryan was one of them that he attempted to corrupt but never could. Yeah. Um, and she has this really intense like fire spirit within her yeah. that even that she's the only one who could withstand the the, the, the heat, heat. Yeah. of Laurelin, which I don't think I knew until now that Laurelin was like hot. <laughs> I was just like, I thought it was a golden tree. So. And you stop to think about that. Like if. If just like the last fruit from Laurelin is that hot, like was the tree itself just like a nuclear reactor, basically? Yeah, I'm like, was it just like on fire? Right. <laughs> what? And and I believe that Tolkien actually did address that in one of his later essays. So I want to say it's in Volume Nine of the History of Middle Earth. There's uh, so the book is the, the volume, sorry, Volume Ten of the History of Middle Earth is called Morgoth's Ring. And it's got all kinds of like metaphysical and uh, philosophical stuff about the first age, especially. And there is one section called Myths Transformed, which is really interesting. And there's something I'll bring up in a little bit. But but I think one of the things he does talk about is there's he kind of struggled with the idea that the fruit could be that hot and yet, you know, come have come from something that was obviously greater. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know that he ever quite reconciled with that. But uh, it, it is an interesting, kind of a weird thought. Just one of those foggy details. Tolkien's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to pass over this and yeah. heavily fixate on something else for the time being. You know, There are a lot of those in this chapter, especially. Uh, uh, there's one in particular I want to bring up a little bit later. But yeah. It, I wonder if we'll bring up the same thing because I was discussing this with someone last night when we were waiting. Uh, I'll wait I'll wait until we right, get to cool. this point in the chapter where I had I had this question. I was like, what is happening? What I do love about Aryan, if I may, before we move on from mm-hmm. Aryan is like I, I mean I love the fact that is it here or is it later on that it, we're told that basically Melkor is terrified of Aryan. Like she has yeah. got juice and it might be a little bit later, so I might be... Yeah, I think that... Yeah, that might be a little later. Okay. I can't remember. I'll I highlighted save, it somewhere. I'll save I'll that definitely... for later, oh, but that is me. one of my favorite things about it. I will it. make yeah. sure to bring yeah. that up. Um, yeah, so it says um, of... I've already forgotten his name. Tilion? Yep, that's right. <laughs> Tilion. Um, it says, he begged to be given the task of tending forever the yeah. last flower of silver. Um, yeah. However, I love this. Aryan the maiden was mightier than he, and she was chosen because she had not feared the heats of Laurel. And so I love the fact that she was specifically chosen to do this yeah. until he was like, please, please, please pick me. <laughs> yeah. Please pick me. Yeah. Please. <laughs> can I do yeah. it? Can I do it? Aryan was picked first. Totally. He's like, no, it can only be her. It has to be her. She's the yes. one we want for this job. Who's going to drive the moon? I don't know. Okay, sure. He seems eager. Yeah. yeah. This kid right, in the bye. back, right. <laughs> jumping up and down right. with his hand up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love that. First, they send 
Tilion up with Isil, the the vessel of the moon, mm-hmm. and it says that he I don't know makes he goes up and down a couple times before they say oh it's seven times seven times so I guess I guess we're meant to see that as seven days even though we wouldn't think of the moon circulating in a day but I, I think that's how we're meant to read this. Yeah, I guess that, like, because I, I would think of it more if the sun, like, went up and down seven days. I'd be like, okay, that was seven days rather than yeah. um, and I seven think, moons, but, you know, whatever. And this is like, uh, you know, we're meant to assume that this is a medieval vision of the universe, Earth at the center, flat Earth, things like that. And so the moon would, because, you know, what we see is the Earth's rotation in a day. We see the moon pass across the sky. But right. I think in, in this cosmology, we're meant to see it as the Earth is stationary and the moon is passing across the sky. So that's why I think it is meant to be seven days when he says that. But that was also something Tolkien struggled right, with. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so then they send Arian and yep. she goes up and yay, we have moon and Sunlight. sun. Yeah. Yep. Um, it says, then indeed Morgoth was dismayed and he descended into the uttermost depths of Angband and withdrew his servants, sending forth great reek and dark cloud to hide his land from the light of the day star. So that kind yeah. of explains why even when we see, what is it called? Mordor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I forget yeah. the name of Mordor? <laughs> even when we see the land of Mordor, it's, you know, surrounded by all this like Clouds darkness and shadow around and it. fog and yeah. Because the the like foundation of of Sauron is Morgoth essentially, right, and he yeah. does not like the sun, which I think is very. I think you know any of us could have predicted that that you know like the demon of darkness doesn't like the probably sun. not going to like the sunlight too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know you can even see this in something like The Hobbit, right? Where you go back to mm. is it chapter two of The Hobbit when the trolls turn to stone in the sunlight, right? Or yeah, in Lord of the Rings where the orcs. With with the exception of the Urukai, right? Because the Urukai have just been genetically engineered to be mm. superior warriors, but most orcs don't like the sunlight. Yeah, that's definitely a very mythological yeah. um, trope. You know, vampires, right? Yeah. Um, where wait, werewolves are the yeah, moon. werewolves come out, so in they the would full like moon. the sunlight, but <laughs> well, but <laughs> anyway, I mean, werewolves I think come out. It's, at it's night. a nighttime thing. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. It's I a agree nighttime with that. Thing. Yeah. 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 Things are going great. Morgoth is mad about it. <laughs> um. Uh, the plan originally that Varda had set, I'm not going to explain it probably <laughs> as like, I have no clue. Like the way I'm picturing things in my head are just like, so, actually all I'm imagining is for people who are on TikTok, there's a fil- there's a trend and there's a filter where it's like you're in space and like your head is floating and it's all set to the theme song from Reading Rainbow. And so it's like butterflies in the sky. And then like you're just like a voidless head like floating through space. And like that's just kind of what I'm imagining wow. right now of the sun and the moon. And they're supposed to be on these paths. But Tilion diverges from this path because he likes being near he has a crush he, he likes has a little Aaron. crush on Aryan. um yeah. and so he he kind of messes up this path yeah. so he's do not, you have he's not an idea of what this path is that Varda originally set out for them to follow yeah so if you if you th- keep in mind that of course Valinor's in the west right and so the first time the moon rises and the first time the sun rises they're rising in the west not in the east as we would usually see it right Mm -hmm. so they rise in so the moon rises in the west 
and again, after the seven days, right, when the sun starts rising, basically what would happen would be the moon rises in the west, gets all the way to the edge in the east, and then the sun rises in the west while the moon starts coming back from the east, and they kind of ping pong, and they would cross in the middle of the sky. Got it. And that's that was sort of Varda's way of wanting to kind of replicate the idea of the light of Telperion and Laurelin, where they mingled in the middle, and that was the most beautiful time and all of that. So sort of imagine that it, you know, the middle of the day, they would cross in the sky and then go back the other way. And they just kind of ping pong back and forth. Okay. Which is very strange. A lot <laughs> more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I like how I say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The <laughs> sure, moon and the not? sun just like going on these yeah. like reverse, reverse arcs through the sky. Yeah. yeah. And again, this is like Tolkien. This is all assuming a flat earth, which is something that Tolkien yeah. really was was assuming at the time because if you look at most of the early mythologies that he was working from that he was kind of you know emulating in his writing that's what they had right most early civilizations thought of the earth as flat and he really did so this is the thing i wanted to talk about was that he really struggled Same. with this yeah. later on and he just he he wanted it to ma- he knew this didn't make sense he knew that there was there's this is totally scientifically inaccurate and he knew that the elves were there. The elves are supposed to be real. The elves should have known what really happened. How could this even be the story? And so he he went about rewriting this whole story to make it more scientifically inaccurate. Excuse me, more scientifically accurate. And yeah, it, it's like you said earlier, it's it's a very it feels more mythological than a lot of the stories in here. And that's what I love about it. And yet Tolkien realized that there's all these weird little things that just don't make sense. Yeah. And, um, and so... Again, it's in that section, Myths Transformed, which is in Morgoth's Ring, volume 10 of the History of Middle-earth, where he he rewrites the whole story and he makes Arda a spherical island in space and the sun was there first. And, you know, it's like it's more astronomically accurate, but it's no fun, you know? Yeah, it's no fun when things make sense. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this was my not pain point, but I was just... It was th- a lot of moments where I would like pause and put the book down. And I would like put my hand out and try and like. Tra- so, yes, at this point, um, a reminder for everyone that elves are flat earthers. <laughs> um, because at this point, the the earth is flat. Right. And so I was like, OK, so when the sun and it describes this later, too, um, because Varda is like, OK, we're not going to have this beautiful moment in the middle of the day. We're not going to have my vision where you guys are both in the sky at the same time. And it's really beautiful. So we'll change it up a little bit and we'll have um, you guys go. One of you will be up when the other right. is down and vice versa, which is how we think of right. the moon and the sun nowadays. And it mentions that the sun would go. Where Where's... Yeah, as she journeyed under the earth and drew towards the east, the glow faded and Valinor was dim. And so, mm-hmm. anyway, so she's going under the. So I was like, so does that mean she's actually going underneath the flat earth? Yeah, and coming so back. So I was the east. trying yeah. to figure out. I was like, okay, so if the earth is flat and they're like in the sky going up and down, are they like teleport? Do they like <laughs> rise in the east and then they like just teleport to the other side or do they have to go back? Which was kind of her original plan was right. that they would have to go back the same way they right, came. Right. So I'm like, so does that mean she's going under, like, let's say you have a, you know, you have a Frisbee right now. <laughs> Middle Earth yeah. is a Frisbee. <laughs> Art is a Frisbee. I'm like, and you know, everything is on top. 
So does that mean you have the sun going under where there's just nothing? Like what? And that was just something for my brain to think about. That's, and that's always how, how I've imagined it is that you just have the sun passing under like dead rock, I guess, on the bottom. Whatever it would be. Yeah. Um, and so I was discussing this with my friend last night. We were waiting for um, the two tower screening to start. And uh, this uh, person turns around in front of me and is, and goes, are you talking about the Silmarillion? <laughs> and I was like, I 100% forgot that I was in a room full of a bunch of nerds. Full of Tolkien nerds. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then she was like, uh, they were like, are you talking about how like that's how Legolas can see across the horizon? Because they oh, were flat man. earthers. Talk about, yeah, and, Legolas in his line of sight for, forever and ever. Like. Reminder, really? we were seeing two towers, which is, you know, like a last What do your elf eyes see? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, anyway, yeah, that was just funny. Or, so we c- kind of started talking about that where I was like, so obviously the Earth and the moon, they're not orbiting around because it's not uh, right. a ball yet. And like we were talking about all like the physics of it. Yeah. And we were all just like, eh, whatever. Whatever. Because it, it, <laughs> the story works so well, right? It's such a cool story. Even though it makes absolutely no scientific sense, yeah. <laughs> but but I, it's a credit to Tolkien that he wanted to make it work later in life. He was like, "This this is just not good." Like he because yeah. he wanted it to be believable, and he was worried that if he wrote a flat Earth and you know sun passing underneath the Earth, people would just people wouldn't believe it. Um, yeah. It, interestingly enough, as we're talking about what does it look like underneath, there's there's in one of his really early writings, he actually envisioned the Earth as like a boat. There's actually a drawing in, I think, the Book of Lost Tales where Earth is a boat and you can see. So so I guess like he, he's imagining it almost literally like a boat. So maybe there's a hull of a boat underneath there. We, we don't really know for sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Mythology, know. right? It's, yeah. Uh, it's like uh, like being on the back of a big turtle. Yeah. <laughs> Varda eventually comes to this you know, kind of compromise sort of of a plan where um, it's set up more like we're familiar with how the sun yeah. rises as the moon is setting and vice versa. Right. Um, however, there are still some points in the day because remember, Tilion has this little crush on Aryan, um, and he will occasionally, you know, take an uncertain course or yeah. he'll take a little bit longer so that he can see her rise. Right. So there are some points in the day where you can see both the sun and the yep. moon. Yep. And there are also some points um, where it basically describes an eclipse. Right. Which yep. I think is really cool. You I know, love that. that yeah. Um, yeah. That like we have this reason for, oh, well, you know, the reason we have eclipse. This is something, you know, like you may tell, you know, a preschooler or something yeah, when, exactly, you know, yeah. there are eclipses of like, why is this happening? It's like, well, the, the moon, moon is in love with the sun. Is and in love with the sun. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a bedtime story. Yeah. Almost. You know, yeah. Um, interesting how we never hear Aryan's perspective of <laughs> if she returns any of these feelings, if she's annoyed by them, if she's like Varda, homegirl, step in and help me. Right. Like you're supposed to control. Like I don't want to see him. Right. I know. Or the reverse of that. Maybe she's like, you know what? I actually do kind of like him. So Varda's doing some matchmaking. I think Aryan's all business. I think, yeah, I think so I, too. I think Arian is so like, too. look, I, I've got a job to do. You're Tillian, yeah. sure, you're you're a, you're a nice guy and everything, but I'm sorry, I'm focusing on this right now. Yeah, but it's it's just interesting, it and is. I'll bring this up in a little later too. That you know, we never hear her perspective really. No. I don't um, think she's terribly amused. <laughs> yeah, as well as this plane is working, they're like, 
cool, we did something with the trees. Um, it's obviously never going to make up for the loss of the real thing. It mm. says, but neither the sun nor the moon can recall the light that was of old that came from the trees before they were touched by the poison of Ungoliant. Yeah. That light lives now in the Silmarils alone. So yeah. as nice as this plan worked out, um, it's still no substitute for the real thing, which they will right. kind of always be mourning and always be upset that they lost, yeah. um, except for in those pesky Silmarils yeah. that Morgoth has now. That are going to continue to cause so much trouble. Yeah. And, and here's where I, I think it's really cool. So if if folks read the letter that's published at the beginning of the Silmarillion, uh, it's a letter Tolkien wrote to Milton Waldman. And I don't know if you had a chance to talk about this on the show or not, but he's sort of explaining the story to... Um, to a publisher. And in that letter, he actually says the sun is not a divine symbol, but a second best thing. And the light of the sun, the world under the sun become terms for a fallen world and a dislocated, imperfect vision. And I love that because, again, this is the sun. This is the life giving star of of the solar system. This is the source of this is the source of light and, and nutrients for plants and, you know, every all life on Earth. And to Tolkien, it's a second best thing. You know, it's not Mm-hmm. It's not like worshiping the sun god like so many ancient civilizations would have done for Tolkien. It's like, no, this is like a, a pale substitute for for the two trees. It's a representation. It's a reminder yeah. that this is not the perfect vision anymore that Iluvatar yeah. set out to make. At this point, he's he's not even on plan B. He's on like plan F. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> Melkor's done it again. What, Everything what can was we going do now? great. <laughs> And then he knocked over the lamps, and yeah. then that ruined everything, and then they went over here, yeah. and then the elves came, but then not all of them came, and yeah. then Feanor, so. <laughs> What's going to go wrong next? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Morgoth hates these lights. He tries attacking Tilion, but Tilion is able to fight him off, um, yeah. and it says, Arian Morgoth feared with a great fear. There it is. Yeah. That seems like a sentence that my high school English teacher would have been like, you are, you said fear twice in the same sentence. My high school, my AP, my 12th grade English teacher would have notes for Mr. <laughs> Tolkien. Anyway. Feared with a great fear. I fear. That yeah, is like, an interesting construction. Feared yeah. with a great, like choose a different word. Sure, she would have yeah. been like, choose a different verb, you right, know, yeah. to do, do something more descriptive. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. Feared with um, a great terror or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. anyway. Okay. And Aryan Morgoth feared with a great fear, but dared not come nigh her, having indeed no longer the power. For as he grew in malice and sent forth from himself the evil that he conceived in lies and creatures of wickedness, he might passed wait his, oh his his might passed into them and was dispersed, and he himself became evermore bound to the earth, unwilling to issue from his dark strongholds. Mm-hmm. So he is. Not the Valar he once was because right. he has dispersed all of his powers among these, you know, creatures of darkness. Right. And he does not have it in him to go up against R.A.M. Yeah. And I find it so interesting just as a woman reading Tolkien um, that it's Varda, it's Ungoliant, it's Aryan, it's all these... 
I don't know if un, if we call on women, a woman, but, but right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All these female, female beings, presences, yeah. beings mm-hmm. that Morgoth fears the most, and we never really see much of that. We never really see much of them, and. I mean, I, I don't really have like much else to comment on other than that observation. Um, yeah. I think it's it's a credit, I think, to Tolkien that he recognizes the power of these female beings. But it's also a little bit of a shame that we don't really dive into that because I think yeah. it would be very interesting to see a battle between Varda and Melkor. It um, would. Yeah. But but. I'm assuming, I mean, we have a lot of book to go, but I'm assuming that won't happen. So it's just an observation. It, no, that's <laughs> a really good observation. And I think um, I think there's there's a moment coming up that I think you will like. I won't say much about it, but it's it's cool. not that it's not Varda versus Morgoth, which would be oh, or Melkor. Sorry, uh, which would be pretty awesome um, mm. because. I, I think she could absolutely take him. I mean, what's the one yeah. thing that Melkor... I mean, maybe the reason we don't see it is because it would be a short fight. It would be over too <laughs> maybe quickly. Maybe it would be yeah. over. <laughs> right, right. She'd snap her fingers, shine a little light, and, and he'd right. be gone. Yeah. Um, there There is a, a really, really um, fantastic moment that um, that a lot of us like, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say more than that, but there... I mean, you're right. It, it is something that I, I wish Tolkien would spend more time on because um, he, he does write some some great female characters. I know there's not a lot of them, but there there are some that are really great and he clearly he clearly recognizes that mm-hmm. women can be great. He he had a lot of strong women in his life and I and mm-hmm. I think that that comes across in his writing. But I I'm with you. I wish he would spend more time on yeah, it. Yeah, it would just yeah, it would just be nice to see more of that mm-hmm. depth there. Yeah. Um that he does with other characters yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. Melkor tries to fight Tilion. Luckily, Tilion, you know, wards him off. He wins. But that's very concerning to the Valar. They're like, oh, man, we still have Melkor to deal with. Um, which also, like, should they be surprised? They've never really they, they dealt with the Melkor right. yeah, problem. Yeah. <laughs> they right. captured him and then he tricked them and then into they let him go. letting them go. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, yeah. they've never really dealt with him. And yet it seems to be they're always surprised when he does something more. And I'm like, it, well, it's like they can't comprehend expect? evil, right? It, it's almost yeah. like they're they're so good yeah. that they don't understand how evil and wicked and deceitful somebody could be, and that's I think it's a blind spot for them. I, I think it's, yes, you know, definitely. It, I mean, as much as great as it is, you want your you want your gods to be good, you want them to be benevolent, you want them to be powerful and wise, but the Valar do have this huge blind spot, don't they? And it, yeah, it's. Yeah, in that sense, they are very naive when it comes yes. to yeah. That's a good word for it. And they're just it. not yeah. in my mind. I'm sure they're like, oh, Melkor, he did one bad thing. I'm sure he won't do anything else again. You know, I'm sure he's learned his lesson. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they're know? gonna. They have a sign up in Valinor that says it's been you know X Zero number of years days. since Melkor's yeah. done something horrible, <laughs> and they just have to erase it <laughs> right. every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're concerned about this, and their response. Is not I just find this so interesting. So anyway, okay. So their response is to fortify Valinor essentially, and they yeah. raise up the mountains, and they make um, the the wall, the pylori, um, really high, and they make it um, smooth on the outside so that no one else can climb it. Right. And they do leave like this is. I 
I think this is kind of funny that they're like, we did leave a little gap in it so that the, so the elves can have some light. <laughs> so the it's elves like a nightlight for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it was like, they did remember that the vineyard, like to breathe a breath, a breath of fresh air every now and right. then, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But aside from that, they t- essentially make like a, you know, a fortress. A fortress and, of Valinor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the hiding of Valinor, so to speak, um, from Melkor, because they they've seen the wrath that he can wreak, rot. I don't know, whatever. Um, reek, I think that works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, reek. Um, they've seen the wrath that he is capable of. Yeah, and they're like, well, we got to do something to prevent that from from happening here again. So they right. do this, and they also raise up. Um, some isle, some islands mm-hmm. to create. What do they call it? The Enchanted Isles. The Enchanted. The okay, great. There we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hmm. What shall I call this? The Enchanted Isles. Um, yep. And anyone who tries to travel through them or near them is kind of um, overcome with this. Mm-hmm you know, enchantment or spell and they become very weary and they just go to Mandos, I think is what happens. So, or does Mandos just like look over them or? I think it's just that they get lost. Because, okay, they get lost. Yeah, I mean, I think it does say something about Mandos talking oh, never about mind. it being um, shut, right? But um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, Mandos is mentioned in something I mean, related to, to be that, fair, so you, you got to imagine this is probably something like the Bermuda Triangle, right? So right. probably a lot of people <laughs> would end up dead and going to Mandos anyway. But but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have been uh, hyper fixating on playing The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt for the past, I don't know, five months. <laughs> and really? I just finished it last week and my life has been a void ever since. <laughs> But anyway, in the game, there's something um, that they call the Isle of Mists. Okay. And it's very mysterious, of course. And like, right. you're, you don't like, you can't just like go there. And people are like, how did you, like, how did you end up here? You, mm. This isn't something you can just go. So that seems kind of similar to me. I think that's also another, you know, whether Tolkien invented that trope here or whether that was established in, you know, previous Pro- mythology yeah. or stories. I'm sure but this there idea is, of yeah, like a, an enchanted yeah. island where you go to it and you become disoriented because right. it's trying to protect or hide something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think there there must be mytho- this must be a mythological trope of some kind. I feel yeah. like there's I feel like there's something like that in Celtic mythology and probably in Greek mythology. But uh, I can't I can't think of any names right now. But yeah, it, it does seem like one of those things that's just very familiar, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I never have played The Witcher though. I need to. I probably need to try that at some point. I. If you. The, <laughs> I don't want to make you digress, but you brought it up. No, and no, I, no, the I've been thinking like, should I play this? And yeah, I probably should. The embarrassing part is that now that I finished the game, it's really embarrassing how much free time I have. <laughs> where <laughs> I'm like. Oh, this is usually when I would sit down and play, but like, and um, it is the kind of game where like after you finish the main quest, like you can still you can go, go out into the world and, do, and stuff. But, like it's not the same, right. you know. So um, I probably will do that eventually, but like, man, um, I love open world video games. Cool. So if that's yeah. your cup of tea, I would I highly do. recommend yeah, that. So, um. But it definitely like well, sucked up a lot of my life. <laughs> <laughs> they do that. There are some games that do that, aren't there? Yeah. 
for yeah. for me, actually, yeah, the the Witcher show was my introduction to the universe, and it's only secondhand because actually my wife is watching it usually when I'm recording podcasts. Um, so you know, usually if I'm done, I'll go downstairs, and you know, she might be finishing up watching a show, and I'm just I'll just watch a little bit. And like this seems kind of interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my my one little introduction, and I don't know that I have time for a TV show right now, but. Who am I kidding? I probably don't have time for a game either, but someday. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have time for the <laughs> Netflix series, I would say you definitely don't. don't try the I would game. say don't. It's like starting like a, a drug addiction. Like don't <laughs> That's what dive don't into yeah. it if you haven't. You yeah. know, it's it's too late for me. Save yourself. <laughs> Save yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, where were we? Anyway. Yeah. So the Valar hide Valinor, they fortify it, they set up all these protections so that Melkor and no further darkness and no other outsiders can come to Valinor. Um, I find it hilarious that they just kind of leave Middle-earth alone. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> we gave you the sun and the moon. Here, problem what else solved. do you want? What else do you need? And Melkor, it just kind of makes me laugh a little bit. I don't know that like Iluvatar had this amazing vision for how this world would work and he has this vision for the children of Iluvatar and the second borns or whatever yeah. he calls them. Um and the va- and he cre- and the Valar are created to kind of bring that vision to fruition, but they kind of like are very they're very hands off and they're not really I, in yeah. my view, reading of this they're not doing much to like protect the vision of Iluvatar and they're kind of like well we tried once over there that was that was the other thing that it mentions is yeah. that like well we already tried once over there with um I forget what it was called with the, with the lamps with Almarin Almarin yeah um and that failed so we came over here and now this is our land you know this is our part and like you can go over there if you want but like this is where we're gonna be and so i don't know i just find it so interesting that like they're just in this one part doing their own thing and they're not really doing much to like obviously yes they gave all of the elves the option to come Mm -hmm. to valinor right they gave the noldor that last little chance to turn back and to yeah. stay with them and to not leave. And a few um, of them so did. That, not yeah, too and many. some of them. And yeah. so, like, that was, you know, the their, those choices. But at the same time, it's like, you're, I, I thought you were here. I thought the I whole point of you was to, like, protect these people and to, like, make this world perfect. And yeah. it seems like you're making it perfect for you and not for everyone. <laughs> I, you know? <laughs> I, th- I think, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think. What I see with the Valar is I see I see them gradually receding, right? So every time mm-hmm. every time they get their hand burned on the stove, you know, they get a little bit more cautious and and they get a little bit more hands off. So like first there was the lamps, right? Oh, every we're gonna make everything as perfect as we can. Oh, the lamps are toppled, that's not gonna work. Okay, the trees, let's bring the elves here and share the light with the elves. But even that wasn't handled in the best way it could have been you know why, why did you only bring some of the elves i guess they didn't want to force the avari to go um but but yeah it, it this this is like kind of the the third or fourth in a series of the valar just gradually being more and more hands off like we're going to try this oh we screwed that up okay we're not going to do that anymore we're going to pull back a little bit farther and it's it's almost like it's almost like they're gradually getting to the point where they're not 
they're, they're getting to a point where like it's going to be like today where the gods don't take any kind of active role mm-hmm. in, in life. You know, I almost feel like that's the story Tolkien is telling is once upon a time, these divine beings were very involved and gradually they've kind of pulled away and pulled away. And that's why you don't see miracles happening anymore. That's why you don't see. And I don't know if Tolkien would have seen it that way, because I know Tolkien was Catholic and his, you know, mm-hmm. his faith was very important to him. And it was it was really, you know, a big part of his life. But. But I do kind of feel like that's the story he's telling in terms of like why we don't see divine creatures walking across the earth anymore and fighting and raising mountains and things like that is because they've just, yep, we're not doing that anymore. We we, we did it and never again, you know? It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting point of view of all of this and, and perspective, yeah. One thing to note before we wrap up this discussion, the chapter ends with this one line that I'm like, am I supposed to know who this is or will Spoilers. I figure out who this yeah. is? Yeah. Um, and it says, you know, that like, no, it's talking about the the islands that of fog, whatever yeah. we call them, the Enchanted, Enchanted Isles, Isles, that was it. Yeah. Um, And it says, of the many messengers that in after days sailed into the west, none ever came to Valinor, save one only, colon, the (laughs) mightiest mariner of song. Hmm. Which makes it sound like it's going to be a bard, (laughs) which I think would just be hilarious. Oh, that's an interesting take. Just to see, like, you know, you're expecting this really regal, powerful person. Instead, it's just this bard with his, like, lute to being like, how did I end up here? Just singing. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I was like, am I supposed to know who this is? I'm like, is this supposed to be Frodo? Like, what? <laughs> and I was like, he's not a mariner, and he doesn't do anything of song. Like, what does that mean? So I guess it's, we'll meet this mighty mariner. You will. I can promise you, you will meet this okay. mighty mariner. Great. And Ooh, it's, I know, intrigue. foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're, you're going to have a lot of story to get through before you get there. But Oh, boy. It, but, it and see, story. that's what's funny. Tolkien did this all the time too the time. in in Lord of the, in Lord of the Rings. He would drop all these little details, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have any payoff until I had forgotten about it. <laughs> and then <laughs> it would come back around, and I'd be like, "What's this referencing?" Like I, like I've you told you told me the setup for the joke, waited two years, Way too long. and then told me yeah. the punchline, yeah. and I don't remember the setup anymore. You yeah. Know? So and we'll and see if I remember. <laughs> you probably will. You probably okay. will when you get to it. I think. But uh, I don't know. I may I may be biased. But uh, yeah, no. I this is uh, this is a fun little foreshadowing thing. And to me, again, I kind of feel like he's he's having a wink at people who know the story already. You know, and, okay. and that to me is kind of very medieval too, because you can imagine like uh, a medieval bard in uh, an Anglo-Saxon court or something singing a song about Beowulf, and then he'll you know he'll make a reference to some other great hero, and you know, and he'll just kind of mention it. And then it'll just go on. And, and, you know, sometimes we we read that and we go, wait, who's he talking about? Who is this, you know, Wheelof or, or, you know, whoever it is. But you got to figure like the people at the time would have known who that was. You know, it's almost like Mm -hmm. when the MCU makes a quick reference to one of the other MCU movies and everybody knows because everybody's seen them all. But uh, but yeah, with with something like this, with with mythology and with this idea of like this sort of like this lost text that we're supposed to have in the Silmarillion first time around, you're thinking. Who is this? I have no idea, but but you'll you'll know. You will know. Okay. I will remember this. <laughs> good. Good. 
note for future. Hopefully for it will pay off yeah, when it comes. Hopefully I'll remember. Okay, great. Well, that will bring us to the end of the chapter discussion. Thank you so much for coming on and discussing this with me. Um, Thank do you, you have any um, anything to share with the audience? Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, well, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on, Mary Clay. This has been awesome for me. It's been a lot of fun. This is one of my favorite chapters of the Silmarillion, so I'm glad I was able to come on and, and talk about it uh, with you. Um, people can find me online at the Prancing Pony Podcast. We've got a, a, a weekly podcast where we're working, working our way through Tolkien's stories of Middle-earth. Right now we're in the Lord of the Rings. We're just getting close to the end of the Two Towers, and we're doing a few pages every week. People can find us online at theprancingponypodcast.com, at prancingponypod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. We've also just started a new podcast, so folks who are interested in the Amazon Prime Rings of Power series, we're starting a new show that's all about that, talking about the lore and talking about kind of reaction to shows when they start coming out. You can find that website at ringswrapup.com. And then our social media for that is at ringswrapup on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, maybe you guys have already done this or maybe it's already published, but I'm just curious. Um, I believe you were a part of the, the group that went and saw the preview event we were, for yeah. Rings of Power. Are you guys going to do a special episode about that weekend and, and your thoughts? We are, yeah. We just did a quick episode and released it a few days ago, just kind of talking about really high level, like, you know, we're excited, we're going to tell you more, but we are going to be doing a little bit more probably in a few weeks. I, I don't know when this okay, episode's cool. coming out. I just asked because, like, I was... Like my feed was just flooded with like all, because of course like I follow all these people already and a lo- yeah. like a lot of them have either been on the podcast or yeah I've reached out to them or they're coming on the podcast and so I was just like overwhelmed with all of that and I'm like I don't know where to look first who's saying what um so I was just asking because it sounds like oh if I can like listen to someone's perspective in one place that seems like my much more you know attuned to my attention span so we, we will um, yeah we will have something coming out pretty cool. soon here. Cool. Well, I was, yeah, very pleasantly um, not surprised. I don't know. I was just happy, I guess, to see that everyone seemed to have positive reactions, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, all looking that's really, very reassuring. All I think. looking really promising. I mean, I've been really optimistic about it from the start. I, I, I'm trying to keep an open mind, just like, hey, there's probably going to be things yeah. I don't like, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be cool. And uh, yeah, I came away feeling a bit more optimistic than I had been before. So. It's cool. It's Very cool. That's what I'm talking about is a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org. The cover is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at TolkienAboutPod. You can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsUp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. You can join Discord for $3 a month. That is less than a gallon of gas in the United States. Much less than a gallon of gas, unfortunately. You will get access to the WBE Discord server as well as specific threads for That's What I'm Talking About listeners. And there's a separate thread specifically for spoilers that I do not go in. So if you're someone who knows what's coming up in the Silmarillion and you want to talk with some other people about how dumb my predictions are, 
are, you can go in there and share your thoughts. Or you can become a sponsor of the podcast like Ralph. Ralph has been a patron for a while, but he recently upped his pledge to become a shout out sponsor member. And I appreciate that support so much. Thank you, Ralph. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please make sure to rate and review. I noticed that I have a lot of great ratings on Spotify. So thank you so much for that and keep it up. And one more quick thing before we go, if you are someone who is reading along with me, next week we are covering two chapters, chapter 12 of Men and chapter 13 of The Return of the Noldor. Well, um, thank you again for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I guess the best thing to say for uh, for this episode is probably Ellen Sila Lumena Montielvo, which I know is really more of a greeting and not a farewell, but a star shines on the hour of our meeting. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that, what a lovely saying. I love that.